0: Welcome back to the Bible Caddy podcast. I'm William Kane, and normally I'm joined by my good buddies Ben Crane and Webb Simpson, but today Ben is playing in Bermuda. So it's Webb and I, and we've actually got our a fill-in for Ben, our good buddy Steg Wheeler. What's up, Steg? Hey guys, thanks for having me. How are y'all doing?
1: doing? Good buddy, so glad to have you on. That's a great surprise for for me and a, the listeners will be excited and then I'm sure to hear from you. So fun.
0: Ben, what would you – or, sorry, uh, Webb, what would you say about Steg's golf game?
1: Um, One thing I love about Steg's golf game, I'm going to start with the the positive first, is that he plays really fast. That's true. He hits from the wrong side of the ball. He's a lefty. Um, But still to this day, I would say I witnessed Steg hit a shot that caused probably top five highest emotion in me I've ever had in golf (laughs) – (laughs) <laughs> At the guy's trip on the fourth hole, par five, in alternate shot, I believe, Stegg?
2: Alternate shot, yep.
1: Yeah, so it's five-on-five, pure alternate, just carts flying everywhere.
0: Old guys versus young guys.
1: <clears throat> Old guys versus young guys. And somebody laid Stegg up perfectly uh, on this par five, about 120?
2: I'm
0: not sure who it was, but it's probably me, but go ahead. <laughs> 106,
2: but, you know, close. Okay,
1: 106. And Steg holds it. And when he holds this wedge shot, everyone on our team just went bananas and just ran everywhere as fast as we could and yelled so everyone in Wilmington proper could hear us. Pure it was
2: pandemonium. I had grass stains on my pants. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh-uh. But I've known Stegg for a long time and um, even more than a great lefty golfer. Stegg loves Jesus, loves his wife, loves his kids, and, um, just a joy to be around Thanks so, buddy
2: Fun to be yeah. here Thank y'all for letting me join
0: Oh yeah Well Weber I thought for the uh, banter section today We could just let listeners Get to know you a little bit better So I'm going to ask you A series of rapid fire questions And okay. just shoot from the hip Love it uh, Favorite golf course on the PGA Tour Harbour Town. Favorite tournament Masters Man, I love that the Harbor Town is a f- more favorite golf course yeah,
1: than Augusta. Hot take. There you go.
0: <laughs> uh, favorite pairing?
1: Um, pre-live or post-live? <laughs> <laughs> Let's go both. Okay, pre-live, uh, Bubba and Phil. Okay. I mean, shout out to Stegg. Shout out to lefties. lefties. That's right. Um, post-live, I'll say uh, McElroy. And Russell Henley.
0: That's fun. Give us give
1: us a fun Phil
0: Encore story. You got any?
1: Um, So, I got a lot, actually. Um, So, Phoenix, a few years ago, we're playing. And Paul, in his yardage book, when he does his notes, around the greens will write one of three things. Okay, so-so, or no. Okay is you should get it up and down every time. So-so is... You can get it up and down. And no is basically you're not getting this ball up and down. So 13, Phil hits it over the green to a back pin, and it is completely dead in the rough. And, you know, when you're playing with Phil and you see enough shots, you know, you you pay attention. You just want to see what he can do. So I kind of walk over there. Down slope in the rough, tuck pin, greens are fast. He hits a massive 64-degree full swing flop, lands on the fringe, and goes to – You know, it's about a foot just taps in and he's smiling at everybody. And Polly walks over to him, shows him his note of no to the back pin. And Phil just starts laughing. So the very next hole, 14 middle, right pin, Phil hits it long left, which Polly again has no. And this time Polly and I are talking, we're like, all right, best he can do here is 15 feet. And I'm like, yeah, I agree. I mean, he's got nothing. So he takes again a full swing. This ball goes 40 feet in the air. Lands on the friends, goes down to tap in again, and immediately instead of Phil like acknowledging the crowd, he just looks over at Pauly and just starts laughing. And again, Pauly had a no in there, and so that was like a great classic. Phil like he he went birdie par on those two holes. Every golfer on tour would have gone par bogey, yeah. And um, so he just did that all the time.
0: Man, um, okay, whose game do you respect most?
1: Uh, Zach Johnson.
0: Hmm why
1: i feel like zach's just you know he had, he's never hit it that far he only hits it one way hits a draw um guys won i think 12 times including masters and open championship at st andrews um so i think he's just gotten more out of his game than anybody i've seen and just a awesome fierce competitor Mm-hmm.
0: such competitor um Who goes about professional golf in the way that you respect most?
1: That's a great question. Um, You know, what's funny is like everybody now, like when I got on tour, there was clear difference in like the great players and the good players, but you look around and everybody is so dialed in. Um, President's Cup, I mean, being a part of that as a captain, just seeing these young guys taking such good care of their bodies, going to bed early, uh, no – beers or wine at night, which back in the day in these team events, guys would just relax and hang out and stay up late. Now guys are getting in ice baths, and it's hard to pick one because honestly, you look around the workout trailer, you look around the range, and everybody's super focused.
0: What do you view as your greatest accomplishment in golf?
1: I think after experiencing um, an elite level of playing golf and then having to change putter's and then having all that anxiety and two years of being one of the worst putters on tour to come back and win the players was probably my favorite like golf memory. Cause there was so many times where I thought there's, if you told me I was going to win the players in the depths of putting terrible, I would have laughed at you.
0: I loved watching that. The
1: Lord gets all that credit too. I mean, oh, yeah. yeah.
0: How good's being 11 under through 16 at that golf course?
1: <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> that was awesome.
0: Um, favorite sport to watch other than golf?
1: NBA basketball. Favorite athlete to watch? Probably Steph Curry. Same. Yeah. So fun. He's in Charlotte uh, tomorrow. I know. Hey, shout out to Steph. Steph, I reached out to you. I think you changed your number, but welcome to Charlotte. <laughs> I want to play golf with you. You either big time me or you change your number, but I love Steph. Uh, favorite restaurant? Chipotle.
0: Like <laughs> <laughs> you're allowed to say anything. You say Chipotle. Uh, favorite book other than the Bible?
1: Ooh. Um, probably the prodigal God had the biggest impact, told me, mm-hmm. by Tim Keller. Yeah. Like I thought you were going to say Harry Potter. <laughs> the whole series. (laughs) Not sure he's read that. Uh, Favorite book in the
2: Bible? Probably Psalms. I think Steg shares that with you. Yeah, I love the Psalms. Let's go, Steg, Let's go. Favorite Bible verse?
1: Favorite Bible verse? I mean, I got a favorite Bible passage.
0: Okay, what's your favorite passage? Let's do that.
1: Titus 3, 3 through 7. Hmm. That used to be stamped on the
0: (laughs) wedges. That's right. I cleaned some of those Titus 3, 3 through 7s. That's right. Um, awesome, buddy. Well, thanks. Any you got any rapid fire questions for Webb?
2: Ooh, nothing coming to mind. Yeah, not very interesting. Well, William kind of covered him. You got him yeah. all there. Chipotle got us all by surprise. So what?
0: <laughs> what the? Uh, what the listener doesn't know right now is that Webb is wearing a Russell Wilson
1: jersey on the Zoom call. I it am. Looks good. This is you. audio only, so I figured I was safe, but I guess not. <laughs>
0: Uh, It's Halloween at the kid's school. All right, well, let's, let's jump in. As you guys know by now, we've been doing a series this fall called Meet Jesus. We've been going through the gospel of Luke, really just looking at Jesus Christ, who he is, what he's like, how he interacts with people. And if the most important thing in the world is to know God, to have a relationship with him, and because he's revealed himself through Jesus Christ in real human history, then probably the most important thing we can do is get to know the Lord through his word. What we see in the word, is really what Jesus is like. He's the same yesterday and today and forever, and so that means it's going to be how how he is toward us. So last week we saw Jesus interact with the rich young ruler, and it was a short but very pointed conversation, and Jesus just put his wisdom on display as he identified what really sat on the throne of this guy's heart. And then he taught his disciples that salvation really is only possible through God. It comes through God alone. So today we're Going to jump ahead a little bit to Luke 19, 28 through 40, to a famous passage that's often referred to as the triumphal entry. So, um, Weber, will you pray for our time in the Word today?
1: I will. Father, thank you for another uh, podcast. Thank you for just your grace um, in technology that we can uh, link up on a video and uh, just talk about your Word, talk about the <clears throat> things you're doing in our life, um, and that listeners can join us and hear the good news of what you've done for us and what you continue to do for us. Um, so Lord, I pray that um, you'll give us wisdom and discernment as we look at your word. Um, and we know, Lord, that you will bring fruit from this time um, in the gospel of Luke. So as we get into the word, Lord, I pray the word would get into us. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And Stag, will you reinforce?
2: Yeah, so Luke 19, starting in verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near Bethpage in Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, what are you untying, you shall say... This, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives,
0: Okay. So let's, let's get our feet on the ground here quickly because we've been looking at different interactions and events in Jesus's life. We haven't talked a lot about the flow of the gospel of Luke, but at the end of chapter nine, we're told that Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. He had business to accomplish there. And as we've mentioned many times, he was coming on a, on a mission to die and to rise, to solve our biggest problems. Well, when we get to the end of 19, the time has finally come. We pick up, it's the Sunday before Jesus dies on Friday. It's the week of Passover, 33 AD over 2 million people would be flooding into the city from all over the empire for this feast. And this event that we're looking at is commonly referred to as this triumphal entry. And there's, there's lots for us just underneath the surface. So let's jump into it. So Jesus tells a parable in the passage immediately before, and then what are we told about his whereabouts in verses 28 29
1: So he's going up to Jerusalem and he withdrew he he drew near to Bethany and Bethphage which where is Bethphage
0: Yeah we don't know where Bethphage is um it's certainly very close to Bethany and Bethany is a couple miles to the east of Jerusalem Okay So and then the Mount of Olives is like really if you take Jerusalem up on the Temple Mount is on top of one hill and then you got a little valley called the Kidron Valley and then the hill goes up on the other side and that's called the Mount of Olives so it's gotcha. about 1 mile away on eye level with with the temple from the east in Jerusalem
1: and you were
2: just there
0: we were just there i mean we we walked on this exact road wow. so from at
2: this point he could probably see Jerusalem oh yeah and yeah. and conc- wow.
0: like it's hard to put into words. I never got it until I went there, but where, you know, now there's actually a mosque on the Temple Mount, uh, the Dome of the Rock. But back in the day, Jerusalem is up on this hill and the temple would have sat high up on the top of that hill and it's covered in gold and it would be shining like the sun. You could see it from far away, you know, and, uh, Certainly, when you get to Bethany and you get to the Mount of Olives, you're looking right at it and it commands wow. your attention. So wow. that's where Jesus says, he is eye level with Jerusalem a mile away, walking down this little road, making his way toward the city where everything's about to happen. Hmm. And as he's slowly making his way, what's he send two of his disciples to do? Verses 30, 30 and
1: 31. Go into the village and find the cult that's tied up. Yep. Yeah, and bring and it to bring work. it, untie it, and bring it here. Yeah, what's the unridden colt.
0: Yeah, so mm. let, let's start with what's a colt?
1: Donkey. Yeah, baby donkey. Yeah,
0: young donkey. I mean, nice job with your animal stuff, Bob.
1: Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's really <laughs> good.
0: Um, yeah, and and Steg, what are we told about this
2: young donkey? No one's ever sat on it.
0: No one's ever sat on this young donkey. Any idea mm. why that might be significant? I had to look it up. I'm not. If you know, I'd be very impressed. Webby, you look like you want to take a stab.
1: It's uh, pure in a way.
0: Yeah, let's go.
1: Let's go. <laughs> it's always for Russell Wilson. He's feeling it. <laughs>
0: let's go, Big Russ. <laughs> um, yeah, a couple different times in the Old Testament law, um, an animal that has not yet been worked communicates a kind of purity, something that's set apart for a special task. And so there, we got this young donkey unridden, Jesus tells His disciples, you're going to find it, and you bring it to him. And if you got any trouble, just tell the owner, the Lord needs it, Mm. okay? Uh, We don't know if this is the Lord, like, using His foreknowledge to know if there's a donkey there or if He's got a prearrangement, you know, hard to tell, could be either. But Jesus gives these instructions, and what happens in verses 32 to 34?
2: They basically do exactly what He told them and pretty much what He thought happens, they say, "Why are you untying it?" And then he tells them, "The Lord is need of it." So they they obeyed his command.
0: Yeah, and just like he said, the kind owner seemed to accept this, and off the disciples go back to Jesus. Okay, and that kind of sets us up for what happens next, and what happens next is pretty fascinating. Um, as we've already mentioned, this event's typically called the Triumphal Entry, um, and. Jesus was not the first or the last to make a triumphal entry. Kings or military generals would often make these grand entrances into important cities or when they came back from an important battle. So, when you uh, imagine a Roman triumphal entry, either for an emperor or for a military general, how do you think that would normally go?
2: Man, there'd be a lot of people there to watch.
0: Yep. What else?
2: Yeah, it's got to be the nicest stuff, um, the biggest, baddest animal. Um, I'm thinking like, I picture like war horses and shields and swords and, you know, just lavish. Mm
0: -hmm. Exactly. Yep. Chariots, royal robes, wreaths on the head, dignitaries to greet them as they come in. Exactly what you would think. That's the same way that in 2022, the United States president does not come humbly, right? He comes with show. He comes with Mm -hmm. a, you know, what do you call those motor, motor, motorcade? Yeah. But just, you know, it's a big to do. It's always been that way, right? How much can
1: I not find that word? Um, (laughs) I'm
2: still debating if that's actually the word.
1: Motorcade? You think it is? Go to Google. (laughs) Yeah. I'm I'm, I'm only 50-50 on whether I'm right, right or not. Okay. It feels right. Buttercade. It's
0: your, Just find your truth, man. <laughs> just kidding. If you're listening to this, one of our biggest pieces of advice would be don't find your truth. <laughs> there, there's one truth, and his name's Jesus. Find him. That's right. Um, okay, so back to, back to the text. Let's just stick there. It's going to help us. Um, yeah, typically these triumphal entries would happen with you know, grand pomp and circumstance. Well, here comes Jesus into Jerusalem for Passover week as over two million people would be coming to gather and celebrate. And he's getting ready for this triumphal entry of his own. And it's going to be a very different kind of triumphal entry. And so what does verse 35 say?
1: They put their cloaks on the colt, and they
2: put Jesus on the colt. Yep. Interesting, They it says they set Jesus on it, too. Yeah. He didn't, you'd think he would get on himself.
0: Yeah. It, mm-hmm. You know what, I was paying attention to that yesterday. And John's gospel just says, Jesus sat on it. So, you know, we're probably in danger of reading too much into that, but it seems like, you know, Jesus is both willingly doing this and at least some of the people are eager for him to do it. Mm -hmm. Uh Um, And we'll see that that carries some weight when we, when we see what he's doing. So Jesus sits on this donkey and he rides down the road from the Mount of Olives. The Beautiful, meaningful city of Jerusalem right in front of them. And what did the rest of the disciples do in verse thirty-six as he rides down? Spread they out, spread their, out
2: their cloaks. Yep.
0: Yeah, on the road. Okay, and what would the significance of that be? Any thoughts?
2: I'm taking a stab here, but I would think that's some sort of sign of honor. Yeah.
0: I think that's right. We see it in 2 Kings chapter 9 when this guy Jehu is made king in Israel, and immediately people put their cloaks down in front of him. And so it's a, a sign of homage. It's a sign of subjection to him, um, reverence toward him, even probably acknowledgement of Jesus as king when they do this. These people are mm-hmm. s- saying, uh, "We're we're eager to submit to you. And mm-hmm. so he's riding down this road into the bustling city of all the people, and he's in a strange way enacting this regal triumphal entry, an entry of a king, and the disciples are participating in it. But notice that it wasn't just the 12 who are honoring Jesus as he makes his way in. What does verse 37 tells us? tell us? The whole
1: multitude of his disciples.
0: Yeah, the whole multitude of his disciples are there, and they're praising God with a loud voice. And other gospels tell us that there's, crowds. So you, you got this little road lined. And again, I mean, we're, we all love golf, but you think Tiger at a major and you think, or you're at the president's cup and on the side of either fairway, you're five, six, seven people deep. And it seems like that's the kind of deal going on this little road as Jesus makes his way in.
2: And what are those people doing? Rejoicing. Praising God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen.
0: Yeah. And do you remember what the uh a couple of the other gospels say they were waving?
1: The palm branches? Yeah. That palm was gonna, palm yeah. branches.
0: Yeah. So this is where what we would celebrate a lot of times on Palm Sunday, right? It hmm. comes because they're waving palm branches. And why would why would people be waving palm branches as Jesus came in? What's the deal with those?
2: Mm. Well, what are you thinking, bud? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm here to learn, so I'm going to stay quiet on this one. Um,
0: okay, so the palm branches were a nationalistic symbol for Israel. They appeared on certain coins, and they were a symbol of triumph and victory and praise. Okay, so we're, we're starting to get an idea now of how these people are viewing Jesus. Um, and when you start to put some of these things together, the cloaks on the ground, the palm branches waving the praise that they're giving how do you think they're viewing him
1: I think they're viewing him as lord as king um the son of god really
0: yeah they're at the very least eager for him to come in and be their deliverer
1: mm-hmm. i think
0: there are a lot of people at this time that are thinking this is the one that the old testament is written about who's going to free us at the very least from roman oppression here's our mm-hmm. guy you mm-hmm. know um, and it's it's clear that that's what they want by what they say in verse 38. What do they say in verse 38?
2: Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest.
0: Yeah. So they, they call Jesus what here? The capital K, king. They call him king. Here's our mm-hmm. king. Here's the one who's coming to bring peace. Anybody know where this, it's actually an Old Testament quotation. Anybody know where we find it?
1: No. Uh, Psalm 118,
0: 25 and 26. Definitely mm. our favorite book, Webb. We're, we're <laughs> dialed. You, boys, you <laughs> always love this book. Uh, That's my favorite. I was going to read Psalm 118 last Sunday, but I was watching Russell Wilson. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, okay, so here's what's significant about Psalm, Psalm 118. It's got strong undertones of a Messiah. It's one of the most quoted Old Testament passages in the New Testament. The verses that come immediately before it are referenced by Jesus, by Paul, and by Peter, talking about Jesus, the cornerstone verses, right? So Mm -hmm. you all 'all know it's one of the most quoted Old Testament passages in the New Testament. Um, And the idea in this verse is that there's a pronouncement of a king who comes in the line of David, a Messiah, right, a cornerstone, a foundation to God's people, who is going to come as a representative of the Lord, and so as Jesus walks down, these people are just shouting, blessed is this king. And it's it's actually fascinating. And Psalm 118 it says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And here the people insert the word king. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now putting all this together, right? And you can just, we want to get ourselves in the story if we can. We want to think as accurately as possible. All these people, you know, with... Millions more flooding into the city. Many of them are praising Jesus. They are honoring him as king. They're waving the, their palm branches. And he is triumphantly making his way into this city that he loves. So that's, that's what we've got so far. Um, and they're calling for him to be king, which, by the way, anybody know the last time Israel had a king? A real king. I mean, Herod was kind of a puppet king. He's really more like a governor. But last time Israel had a real king, uh-uh. over 600 years before this. So it's a, it's a scandalous ask. Uh-uh. Okay, but it's about to get even more scandalous before we start to kind of interpret the different parts. Um, the Pharisees, right, the religious leaders that we've seen all through this series, kind of the watchdogs, they're seeing this and they don't like it. Uh-uh. And so what do they do in verse 39?
1: Teacher, rebuke your disciples. They'll, they tell Jesus to make his disciples shut up, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and why would they want, want that to happen? What do they think is going
2: on here?
1: They think they're seeing Jesus getting worshipped, and they think maybe only
2: God should be worshipped. Yeah, I think so. It's blasphemy, right? I mean, calling him king, the name of the Lord, they don't like it.
0: No, they don't like it. And so they tell Jesus, rebuke your disciples. Get them to stop. Get them to be quiet. Um, and Jesus, who has over and over again told people not to mention his identity, right? Knowing that his life is on a divine timeline. He's got five days left. He responds to the Pharisees with this like boldness and clarity. When they mm-hmm. say rebuke your disciples, what does he
2: say? Verse 40. If these were silent, if, if, even if they stop talking... The very stones would cry out. I mean, how I mean, sick is that? <laughs> he looks at the religious
0: elites and he says, "Hey, if these people didn't praise me, creation would." Right. Right. It's stunning what he says to them.
1: Um, Gosh.
0: So that's that's the hey, story. Go ahead.
1: By the way, you know, as you're reading your Bible, there's so many times where you have the thought, "Man, I wish I was there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I wish I was there." This is one of those moments. I just. I wish Luke included the follow-up
2: or the the Pharisee's reaction. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> what well, do you say back to that? I mean,
0: uh, I do I I don't think you say much, but I, I do think if your heart's hard like there it was. I mean, this is another event that leads them to think the only solution is to take him out. Right. Which mm-hmm. is what they do five days later. Mm-hmm. Gosh. Know? And he knew it had to happen that way. The Passover lamb would die on Passover. Yeah. Um, but Man. we barely scratched the surface here, and so I want to I want to kind of draw our attention to three things as we start to understand this passage and see how it reveals who Jesus really is. First, I want to contrast the way Jesus enters the city com- compared to a typical triumphal entry. So we've talked already about how a worldly king would come in with mm-hmm. all the pomp, with all the circumstance, with all the wealth, with all the mm-hmm. bigness, and the war horses and the chariots and the splendor. Um, how does Jesus come in? Little baby donkey. <laughs> I mean, just a little donkey that can barely hold him up.
2: I mean, with his yeah. his ragtag group of boys that's, that probably are not the, uh, the top of society. No. Right. No. Not the most put-together bunch. Yeah, a bunch of fishermen, a bunch of tax collectors, you know. Yeah. Commoners. Yep. Commoners. Commoners. Yeah. Right.
0: So here you have... Jesus of Nazareth, receiving the praise of a king, but he's on a donkey and probably tattered clothing Mm -hmm. in the middle of commoners, Mm. humble, Mm -hmm. lowly, Mm. coming in as a servant. And so what does this teach us about him?
1: Mm. You know, in his own words, he is gentle and lowly. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, An amazing... You know, as you as a, as you rewind the story to the beginning, you fast forward to the end. It's a an amazing combination of him claiming to be who he was, um, and claiming to be who he is. You know, referencing the stones would crowd and praise him, but you know the way he goes about in the beginning is such a humble manner, such a
2: humble way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you would you would never picture God becoming man to look like this in this moment mm-hmm. of time. You know. Right um
0: real quick if y'all were god and you were revealing your son to the world how would you do it <laughs> like what city would you send him to and what would the entrance be
1: oh man <laughs> i mean just the biggest city with the biggest mountains as like a stadium oh gosh. you know bring him in on a fighter jet <laughs> yeah <laughs> right yeah <laughs> dude the rolls royce the motorcade whatever it is
0: yeah it's definitely motorcade jetpack <laughs> Sick, motor, <laughs> sick motorcade. Um, dude, you'd have the biggest symphonies. You'd have the grandest entrance ever. I would. Right. I would think that's how he would come. But he yeah. comes humble. He comes on a donkey. It shows us he's not too good for us. Mm-mm. He's that's he's right. approachable. He's accessible. His heart is filled with love and compassion and care.
1: Mm-hmm. Before yeah. his
0: triumph comes sacrifice. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So
0: it's a humble, triumphal entry.
1: Hey, and a fun little note. like Jesus... Being fully God could have gotten his own, his own cult, but like he borrowed it from someone else and just gives me a little picture of like, he invites us in to be part of what he's already doing. Mm. You know, we get to be a part of it, which is grace.
0: Dude, it's so fun to think about that because sometimes I think if we're like going to serve other people for the cause of Christ or give money for the cause of Christ or whatever, it can be like, ah, gosh, man, I have to do this. Right. dude. After Jesus rose from the dead, what do you think that cult owner's telling people?
2: That was my cult.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that dude used my cult. You hey, should have seen him. modern day. If it was modern <laughs> times, that cult's value would have gone through the roof. Oh,
0: dude! No, no would doubt. be making
2: NFTs of that cult.
1: Seriously. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: oh, man. He did great. A, I mean, he was just a little young buck, but, man, he, he yeah. hung in there. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Oh, gosh. And you know how it's like
0: initially they're probably like inconvenienced. Oh, I'm like, oh, my gosh, the Lord needs it. Come on, get out yeah. of here. But after, yeah, yeah. you're like, oh, dude, what an honor to participate with them. You right. Know? right. Okay, so the first thing we see is Jesus is a humble king, but there's, there's more going on here than him just revealing his character. Um, Jesus came this way on purpose. He came this way to make a claim. Uh, the other gospel accounts make this explicit, but Luke has it kind of hidden underneath the surf surface. We, ha- we haven't talked about this much yet, but the old Testament, which was written many hundred years before Jesus came is filled with prophecy. It's filled with foretellings or predictions about what was to come long before those things ever happened. In one passage that informs the passage today is Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. It's a passage that was written over 500 years before Jesus came. And so, Weber, if you can pull up those verses, Zechariah 9, 9 and 10, read those for us.
1: Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey." I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth.
0: Okay, so what's this prophecy from Zechariah about?
1: A righteous king one day is going to come and how's he going to come? Yeah, humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt. Yeah,
0: what's he not going to come on?
1: (laughs) Not on a war horse. Not like like other kings. We're thinking. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And what's he going to bring? He's going to bring peace. And his Mm. rule is going to be to the ends of the earth. And so these people who are crying out, they're speaking better than they know. When they say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace on earth and glory in the highest. This is the king who's come Mm. to do that. Okay, Now, Willie, question. Yeah.
1: How many people in that crowd, including the disciples and the Pharisees, could, could you do you think would have thought of this prophecy in Zechariah? Good question.
0: I I don't think many, and here's why. Um, In John's account of this gospel, I think there's a little phrase that informs us. Um, In verses, let's see, probably 15 and 16. So that verse is quoted in verse 15, and then verse 16 says, His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was (laughs) glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done
2: Wow. Wow. It became clear on the back end. So yeah.
1: they they were to Zechariah like Steg and I are to Psalms,
2: right? Like they, <laughs> they love them, but like. hey, do you know that? What's it? Psalm twenty three. <laughs> we got we got that one. Yeah, that's, we got that one down.
0: Um, all right. So think about this with me. This is this is super cool, dude. And it just shows the genius of Jesus. Um, when the messianic craze is at an all time high, there are millions flooding into Jerusalem. People are longing for Jesus as their king. What does he do as it relates to that Zechariah 9 passage?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He gets on a donkey
1: mm-hmm. and he
0: starts to ride in. What, what's he just quietly, humbly claiming to the world?
1: That he's the one that Zechariah mm-hmm. prophesied about. Mm-hmm. Oh,
0: exactly. He's just owning it. Hey, if you've got eyes to see it, everybody, I'm your Messiah.
1: Mm.
0: he does not shrink back from the praise. He does not shrink back from the acclaim. Right. Mm. But he simultaneously communicates his humility and his Mm. willingness to sacrifice while at the same time owning his identity. Mm -hmm. I'm the promised Messiah. I'm Mm. the one who's come to solve your biggest problem. I am your deliverer. Make no mistake. I'm your King. Mm. Okay. So he owns it. There's one more thing I want to say about it and Webb, you've already picked up on it, but I want to connect the dots um, even more for our listener. So as the people praise, the Pharisees rebuke because of all the uproar, right? Jesus doesn't deserve this worship. Mm-hmm. But when they approach Jesus, Jesus just goes right back at him, goes toe to toe with him. He rebukes him back. He mm-hmm. felt it was appropriate for people to hail him and praise him. Um, in fact, he thought it was more than appropriate. If they did it, and he said, even the rocks will cry out. Now, I want to see something here. Um, very, very Interesting. When Jesus was being tempted by Satan in the wilderness in Luke 4, mm-hmm. one of the temptations was that Satan told Jesus he'd give him authority over all the kingdoms of the world if Jesus would worship him. And does anybody, either of y'all, remember how Jesus responded
2: in Luke 4, 8? Yeah, he said, you, you should worship the Lord your God, and only, only him you shall serve.
1: Yeah. Mm.
0: So Jesus, when Jesus is told to worship Satan, he says, dude, he quotes the Scripture. He says, you shall worship the Lord only. Mm -hmm. only him shall you serve. Mm. Um, So the idea out of his mouth is that only God is to be worshipped, no one Mm -hmm. else. And yet, what what do we see Jesus doing in this passage?
1: He's gladly accepting the worship.
0: He's receiving worship. Mm -hmm. Here's a man who says only God deserves to be worshipped, and then now he's just accepting Mm -hmm. it, even rebuking people who say that it shouldn't be happening.
1: Mm -hmm. So
0: what's the idea?
1: He is fully claiming to be God. Yes.
0: So just like we saw with the paralytic, when Mm -hmm. instead of healing him first, he says, your sins are forgiven. And it's a subtle claim to be God. Mm -hmm. Just like when we saw him calm the storm, only God can control nature. It's a subtle claim to be God. Here again, we're seeing him receiving this worship, accepting this worship, even saying, if they don't worship me, the rocks would worship me. Mm. It's another subtle claim where Jesus is saying, I'm different than you think. Yes, yeah. I'm your deliverer. I'm also the son of God. It's real. In our
1: poor, poor man's terms, he's he's all in on his revealing his identity now with everyone. Yes,
0: exactly. Yeah, where he had concealed it before, he's all in now.
2: Right.
1: And any any idea
0: why he's all in at this point?
2: Well, I feel like before he's he's kind of trying not not to hide, but he knows if his identity is reeled fat too quickly, then basically this could expedite, but it's in his time that he wants Mm -hmm. to do this. So I think he knows like it's going down. Like this is Mm -hmm. it. I'm going to have to die and Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to make this entry into Jerusalem. And as I make this entry, it's my kind of coming out party to say, Hey, I am God. I'm going to die. And I'm going to take away the sins of the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good.
0: Okay. So let's, let's dig in there just briefly as we close, given his identity, as the promised king, even as God Himself, how does it make all the more amazing what He would do five days later when He died?
1: I know. I was literally just thinking about that. Like, it, it's hard to imagine and it evokes a lot of emotion, both joy, a little bit of sadness for the temporary pain and horrific wrath He went through, but the joy that He brings about for His people. Mm-hmm. The fact that God, who didn't need us and was perfect and where he was for eternity past in a sense came down the mountain stooped down from heaven on our behalf when we did nothing to deserve it mm. like people listening please consider that like that is the greatest offer of all time and it's the greatest gift to to be received freely mm. um
2: so it's it's very overwhelming mm-hmm. to think that he did that for us I think about that, uh, Philippians 2, you know, though he was in the form of God, he Mm -hmm. didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. He humbled himself. He became obedient, ultimately, to, you know, I'm kind of summarizing here, but the point of death on a cross, Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. no God would do that. I mean, why would a God do that except this God? Mm -hmm. Right.
0: Yeah, it's just, it's striking to me. It's it's like simultaneously humbling. Mm Mm-hmm that the God man would die in our place. Like it's almost too much to take in that mm-hmm. what you guys have just said, like, why would you do that for us? Right. Um, but then it also gives great confidence. Like if this, yes. if this is the one who died for our sins, surely our sins are paid for, mm-hmm. right? Like if he's mm. the one who did it and he finished it, we can be welcome to God. Mm-hmm. No That's matter right. where we've been or what we've done. That's right. All right. So last, last question. How, how do you think we should respond to this passage?
1: oh man i mean very similar to what you guys just kind of explained i think the example he leaves us is a humble servant example but also in verse 40 reminds us that he's worthy to be followed Mm -hmm. he is worthy of our worship he is in control um and so it, it actually brings me freedom i don't I don't want to obey today because I'm afraid I'm going to get in trouble. I want to obey because of the love he first showed showed me. Mm-hmm. His love demands
2: our obedience and our allegiance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and just, just that thought that the Lord Jesus himself was, as you said, Webb, he's gentle, he's lowly. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not coming in on chariots or war horses. So how much more if he's the same yesterday, today, and forever? When we, in our sin, want to come to him and we feel this this check in us, it's like, oh, he's going to be angry, mm-hmm. he's going to be mad, he's going to be up there on his chariot, you know, trying to strike us down. It's like, no, 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 that's that's not what the scripture tells us. He mm-hmm. welcomes those who come to him with need, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, to forgive our sin and to give us new life in him but also just to come to him daily, even with Mm -hmm. the things that are are burdening us. He's a welcoming God.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Amen to that. Yes.
0: A welcoming God who deserves our worship. Mm -hmm. Uh, Weber, any final word to
1: you, bud? Uh, No. Love that passage. Yeah. Thanks, Willie. So solid. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Lord.
0: Well, thank you for listening to the Bible Caddy podcast. If you've got questions about Jesus, email us at BibleCaddy at gmail.com. Caddy with an I-E. We'll be back next week. And until then, get into the word and let the word get into you.